the animation podcast, June 26th, 2006. Go infinity! Go infinity! Go infinity! Go infinity! What's this? Go! Meet me! That's it! Jumbo! Let's go! Walk on the eyes of each man. Hey! Right on the button. <laughs> Don't let me fill it! I'm just drawn that way. I'd like to work with you if you don't mind. You will join me for dinner. Oh, goody. Now it's like this, little britches. And beyond. Hey, everybody, this is Clay. Welcome to show number 16 of the Animation Podcast. Today we have a new guest on the show, as well as listener voicemail, and I'll share some results from the listener survey. To introduce today's guest, I'd like to briefly talk about my first years in animation. My first and only job in animation has been at the Disney Studios, and because of that, for a long time, the only people I knew in animation were the people that I had worked with. After a while, I've come to know people at almost every major studio, either as friends of people at work, or because people naturally come and go from a studio over time. I mention all this because today's guest is Bernie Mattinson, and I'm embarrassed to say that it took me 11 years working in the same building with him before I met him. But I'm so glad I did because Bernie is a fantastic guy, and he's got a wealth of experience to share from his career at the Disney Studios that's lasted over 50 years. His animation story starts with the Nine Old Men and Walt Disney on Lady and the Tramp and Sleeping Beauty, and continues through today as he works on developing upcoming projects. He's seen leadership changes at the studio from the passing of Walt Disney to Ron Miller to 20 years with Michael Eisner and now on to John Lasseter and Ed Catmull. I hope you enjoy meeting today's guest as much as I did, so it's with great pleasure that I present part one of my interview with Bernie Mattinson. All right, well, hi, Bernie. Hi. Um, I guess the first question that I had was, well, I know your parents were creative, right? Your dad was a musician? My dad was a musician, yeah. He and, worked for Horace Height, and he was the drummer. And in those early days, that was ni- about the 1930s to the 1940, he uh, he traveled with the band. And my mother was a gypsy wife. She mm-hmm. went with the band. So I wound up staying with uh, my grandmother or, or at Mount Low Military Academy. And then during the summer or whatever, I'd go back and stay with them for the summer or whatever. Mm-hmm. So and- that that lasted till about 1941. And then we settled out here in the valley. Okay, so you knew about the studio and Disney and all that stuff then? Yeah, I knew about the studio. You know, I had actually been introduced to uh, Disney back in, gosh, I must have been about six years old. And my uh, mother took me to the Orpheum Theater in San Francisco, and they were playing Pinocchio. Mm -hmm. And I think ever ever since then, I was hooked. Yeah. And um, did your parents encourage you to do art or... No, they didn't. They didn't really uh, push me or anything. And certainly, my father uh, in the music business, I didn't want anything to do with the music mm-hmm. business at all. But uh, I was always drawing, and I think again, having seen that picture, I was really interested in the fantasy elements of it. But I, I would constantly draw. I, I never had any formal art education at mm-hmm. all. Right, because when you started at the studio, you were eighteen. Is that right? Uh-huh. I eighteen. I, in fact, I hadn't even graduated from uh, high school yet when I went over and, and uh, got an interview. And uh, my mother, you know, had said to me, well, you know, what are you going to do this summer? And I said, well, I don't know. She says, well, you got to get a job. 
And uh, she said, I don't want you laying around this house all summer. Okay. Uh, so she said, so what do you want to do? And I said, well, maybe I'll try Disney. I'll, I'm gonna go over, I'll go, go over there and I'll uh, uh, see if I can get a bidding about getting a job. She said, fine. She says, I'll drive you. So <laughs> she wanted, wanted it to happen. So she drove me over here. And I had my little portfolio under my arm there. And uh, she let me off the front gate. She says, I'll come back in an hour. <laughs> okay. So off she, off she drove. And so I started walking in very naively, you know, not realizing you needed an appointment or whatever. And all of a sudden I heard, hold on there, son. You know, and I looked around and there was this white-haired security officer. And he says, where do you think you're going? And I said, well, I'm going in to get a job. I want to look, go over to personnel. And he says, you got an appointment? And I said, no. And he says, well, he says, if you haven't got an appointment, I uh, can't let you in. And then uh, he said, uh, do you know anybody here uh, in, the, in the company? And I said, no, I don't know anybody. He says, if you knew somebody, maybe I could call them and they could you hmm. know, uh, get, get you in. And, I said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. And he said, well, uh, you'll have to get an appointment first. Now it was a hot day, and the cars were coming in and out. And he said, uh, you can wait over here in the in the shack with me, because it had some air conditioning in there. So I stood there. You were there. waiting for your mom to come back? I was waiting for my mom to come back uh-huh. in an hour. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I stood behind him, and about 20 minutes must have gone by. And, and he looked around, and he said, so what do you got there? And I and I said, well, I got my portfolio. And he says, oh, let me take a look at it. The security guard. The security <laughs> guard. His name was Pappy. And he started to look through it. And he said, oh, well, this isn't bad. Oh, these are nice colors. And he says, this isn't kind of good. And he said, wait a minute now. So he picked up the phone and he, and he dialed up. And he says, give me Ken Sealing. Now, Ken Sealing was the head of personnel at the time and he says Ken he says I, I got this young fellow out here and he says uh, you ought to take a look at his portfolio I think he says he's he's got promise so lo and behold Ken said send him in hmm. and so he said, wrote me a pass out and I and I walked in and, and uh, met with Ken and he was very nice and he looked at the stuff and he said, well, he says, I'd love to uh, hire you on. And he says, but I'm afraid there's no openings right now in animation, which there weren't because they had laid off uh, at about that time. I think they laid off a lot of people from MGM. Hmm. So he said there was no openings. And he says, but I do have an opening in traffic. Wonderful, I said. I'll take it. <laughs> and did you know what traffic was? It, it, I, I I would have wouldn't have cared what it was, but yes, he explained it was a messenger. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And you know that was probably the best uh, uh, job I could have gotten to start. Any any young fellow in the business starting out like that was the best place. The mail room, right? The mail. It would be the mail room. In those day, days, we had five traffic guys for the entire studio. Wow. Is it this studio right here? Yeah. The, this the, lot. Yeah. Yeah. Then it was a very small studio, and if you consider like everybody entirely, in, including the machine shop, the carpentry, uh, the grips, and whatever you had around there, it was a total of around probably three hundred to four hundred people mm-hmm. in this whole company. 
So it's small. And even at that time, it was just the studio, and Disneyland wasn't even open yet, right? And it wasn't even... WDI that. was... Well, it wasn't even that then. It was WED. Exactly. Or, even, no, even then, it, we didn't have a WDI. So was, that didn't happen until long after Disneyland actually was in, underway. Oh, uh, okay. So it was very small. And so uh, my run... They call them runs then... Uh, was the back lot, uh, the sound stages, and uh, uh, camera, ink and paint, and things like that. And uh, at that time, we were um, we were starting to make. Uh, when I say starting to make, we were starting to actually build stage three, which was going to be for uh, uh, twenty thousand leagues mm-hmm. under the sea. And uh, that was kind of exciting, you know, yeah. because we were we weren't going to be just. Even though Disney had done some live-action pictures, uh, he'd never really gone into something where he had major stars and they were really going to do a major, major picture. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the sets were starting to be built and and they were starting to... uh, They were boarding the the, the movie on on, uh, the drawing boards here. They were doing the little models and all of that and at the same time building the stage and then the actors would come and you know you'd stand gawk at them, you know, and yeah. uh, gee, James Mason, you know, mm-hmm. people you had seen Peter Laurie and <laughs> Kirk Douglas, and so it was kind of exciting from that standpoint. And at the same time, we were shooting uh, Dragnet on stage one and two. Mm-hmm. Dragnet was uh, being uh, shot uh, on the lot. We had uh, Mark Seven Productions, and they were renting the stages because the studio needed the money. Mm-hmm. We didn't have anything else going through. And uh, so that was always kind of fun to go out and watch them on the the movie sets there and so forth. Well, in any case, I was in traffic for probably about six months. And every noon hour, I would go over to uh, in the animation department there. And there was a fellow, his name was Johnny Bond. And uh, Johnny was sort of like a legend around here. He he was a real fast Mm in-betweener. And he kind of helped in management and um, he took a liking to me and said, uh, and I asked him, I wanted to be a, uh, uh, get into animation. So he gave me in-betweens to do. And every noon hour I would in, go in there and I'd do my in-betweens and he'd come in and check them out and so wow. forth. And was it um, actual production in-betweens that he would use for the show or were they practice? Or? They were practice. Yeah. They were strictly practice. And uh, probably after the six months, uh, I, I started getting fairly good at it. Then they had an opening. And Johnny recommended me to Andy Engman, who was the head of the animation production group there at the mm-hmm. time. So I got in. Right. And I had to take a salary cut. I got made more money as a traffic <laughs> boy than I did as an in-betweener. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't matter. <laughs> I, yeah. I was in. Yeah. And, um, you know, was, was animation something that you would just... That's definitely what you wanted to do. I mean, yeah, you had your portfolio and your art, and you, you were like animation was it? That was where I wanted to go. Uh-huh. You know, that was that was it. And, and in those in those days, you know, outside of like the the live action features like um, Twenty Thousand Leagues and all that, the studio only made cartoons. That mm-hmm. was our basic product. Yeah, we made shorts and we made features and nothing else. We yep. didn't need, we didn't do television at that time. Or anything, we just made those two things. Right, so. and were um, the shorts and the features department very separated, or were they? I know it's the same building, but it was um, in the same building. Uh, the shorts were in uh, uh, 
the C unit. That's where the uh, you know we had the A C A unit B A and B as you know over there. Mm-hmm. Well, they were in the C unit, and so you got hired onto um, Lady and the Tramp. So I got hired on. Actually, I was doing shorts first. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. And uh, uh, because that was the the lower end. Yeah, you know? that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was doing shorts, uh, uh, doing in betweens. And uh, one of the shorts I worked on, which I was very happy to have done was on Casey's Girls. Mm, yeah. And and that was Freddie Moore's last picture actually and Freddie had done these beautiful drawings of the girls and I was uh in betweening on them mm-hmm. and I was working for Freddie Helmick. And from that it led to Lady and the Tramp and they put me on the Jim Deers and Darlings, uh, uh the human characters mm-hmm. because I had been doing good human characters on these these little girl, these girls. So I stayed Quite a quite a long time in in just doing the uh, the human characters in there, but then every once in a while I'd go out and work for an animator here or there, and I know I worked for Eric Larson when he was doing the Peg uh, gal singing, mm-hmm. you know, the little dog, and that was fun. That must have been hard with all the hair and the, with all the, the hair and all of the the, the follow through on it. Yeah, did he draw that pretty tight? No, it was. Uh, as I recall, I was doing the roughs on that. Mm-hmm. So the roughs were fine. You know, they were easy. Mm-hmm. And uh, George Gepper was his assistant. And George was a sweet, nice, very nice guy. And every bit along the way, you really started learning. You started learning better how to, how to draw better. Mm-hmm. And uh, these guys were real kind of tough masters on you, you know. And, and I was the young kid in the in the place. I was only 18. And everybody else was, I'd say, brown. Around thirty-five, right, forty, in that. Right. And that's why you look so young today. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, well, I would. Thank you. I wouldn't believe that you've been here. It's over fifty years, right? Yeah, fifty-two. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's hard to believe. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'll get on with it. Um, so I was so I was working through Lady and the Tramp uh, a lot on the in the uh, the human uh, units, and um, then as that picture came down toward the end uh word got out of course that we were going to have big layoff afterwards mm-hmm. which we always did in those days uh, after a major feature they would lay off a, a good percentage of the uh animation group mm-hmm. until they geared up and were ready to go for our, the next picture right and in that in that time uh they were just starting to gear up to do uh sleeping, sleeping beauty, beauty. Yeah. yeah so the fellow i was working for with at the time he his name was Johnny Walker, and Johnny was going to be uh, Mark Davis's assistant, mm-hmm. and he needed an in betweener to go along. So I got the job, wow. which was great. Wow, I mean that's that's quite a compliment considering you know, I mean I think everyone would say that Milk Call and Mark Davis were the two best draftsmen in the studio. They were, they were, and you were up to that. Yeah, that's so quite I, a compliment. I was I was very very thrilled. So. Um, Everybody else was, I mean, I'd say outside of the nine old men, they laid off probably 75% of the of the animation staff. Then. Mm-hmm. But I stayed. Wow. So we started working over there, and uh, we moved our room now over to D-Wing, which was where Milt and Frank and Ollie and, and, and you know, it was, it was a very prestigious, yeah. you know, there was always in, in the entire studio. There was always this this rivalry, and D Wing was always the snobbish wing. You know, <laughs> this is where the best were. <laughs> and they never moved, right? Out of they the... never moved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But uh, <laughs> not that they had lots. They were all good animators around there, you yeah, know. Yeah. God. Well, in any case, uh, so I started working there. And we started on our first scene, which was scene 31. Now, you'll wonder, why does he pick up on scene 31? <laughs> scene 31 was the first scene in the, to be done in the movie. And Mark had an, started animating it. And we were working off of rotoscopes. They had actually shot uh, Helene Stanley. She was a very pretty little gal. And uh, I think she had done also the uh, uh, live-action work for uh, Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And so they would shoot her over on stage one, we, and then when they'd make rotoscopes, and we would use that. I should say Mark would use that. But even then, Mark would kind of just kind of thumb through them. He, 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 he really didn't need them, but he'd use it maybe as a guide or whatever for a pattern. Anyhow, I worked on scene 31. For, scene 31 was 43 feet long, and she was walking through the forest and carrying her basket, and you just hear that la da 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 da, da yeah, the music, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and she was just uh, singing to herself, picking off berries off the tree. Well, that scene was done over the course of probably six six months. I think I did that scene four times mm-hmm. over forty three feet long on ones. I did the roughs. I did the uh, cleanup, the first cleanup under Claire Weeks. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I did the next cleanup under Iwo Takamoto. Mm-hmm. Iwo was a really hot, terrific draftsman. He really was good. And he was Milt's assistant for a long time. He right? was Milt's assistant. Then uh, on uh, Lady and the Tramp, then he headed up the, the lady unit of mm-hmm. cleaning it up. But he could really draw. And later on, uh, Iwo went over to uh, Hannon Barb. Barra. And uh, anyway, that's another more story. But I, 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 so I roomed in there with Iwo and did the scene over and over again. When the scene was finished, it was okayed for ink and paint. Milt, Call, and Mark took me over to Alphonse's. Now, Alphonse's was the gathering spot for uh, the watering hole for uh, Disney people <laughs> over there at the time. It was in Toluca Lake. Uh-huh. And so sat there and had lunch, had my cannelloni and and uh, after lunch, you know, and I thought, well, this was very nice. Out comes this big cake, and it, on it it says, Hat Bernie, Happy 31. <laughs> <laughs> and it had candles. Well, how can you forget? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that was my, my big, uh, that was the ending for us of scene 31. Oh, but every time the I end look of the at first it, shot. The, wow. Right. And what was the reason they had you redo it? Was it just trying to find a style? Or? They were trying to find a style. Yeah. They were trying to find a cleanup uh, style. Uh, Claire was going to do it at first. He was an animator, actually. But his interests were outside of the studio. He was really interested in uh, going to uh, India and teaching uh, hmm. animation, which he did. And so he was. It was wasn't the longevity with him, and he was very demanding in those days. The, the drawing uh, uh, was very demanding, and uh, so you needed somebody like Ewo. Ewo was terrific at mm. it. Milt stuff, on the other hand, was always so clean. All you really needed to do was just you know close touch the it up. lines in, yeah, yeah. And close the lines and so forth. Then what happened is. Johnny Walker, the the assistant at that time, he had he gotten kind of a, I'm not going to say an altercation, but it was really kind of a misunderstanding or whatever between he and Mark. They got into an argument or whatever, mm-hmm. and I guess Johnny had just had it and he he wanted out. 
So he left. And lo and behold, I won by default. And, <laughs> and so I started doing, uh, I was working with Mark as hmm. his assistant. And now, what was an assistant's role? Well, in those days, you had, you had uh, uh, roughs. You were doing the roughs, and then you also did uh, cleanup, you know, when, when you weren't doing the roughs. Mm-hmm. So you were in between. So I was working with Iwo part-time. I was working with uh, Mark with them when he'd have new scenes coming in. I would do the roughs okay. for that. So we were doing both. Well, this lasted for for a, for a while. I'd say for probably about a year. Then, because of the work was so slow, and we were bringing in new people all the time, they had they had to institute a drawing count, and I guess I got tagged with it to to help out on it. Mm-hmm. So I spent a portion of uh, of the uh, uh, Sleeping Beauty period in this helping management out with the drawing count and uh, fi- trying to figure ways that people could draw faster and get the job done. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what happened there. Did, did you come up with anything? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, there were little bits and things that you came up with. You would have to take a scene and you would rate it. You would say, to do this yeah. amount of in-betweens, it should take you X amount of time. And um, so it put the pressure on people and, the, and they had to try to work faster at it you know mm-hmm. and uh so they, they they were desperate because it was a hard picture to get done and uh just drawing wise yeah after that picture was finished they were starting up on uh, 101 Dalmatians. yeah and that's when uh i was called into the management office and they said well he said bernie we don't need you in management anymore it was a good period, though. I really, again, learned a lot about the people, met a lot of people and all that. But uh, so you either take, uh, you either go back to being a breakdown artist, which was just a little bit more than a, a in-betweener, mm-hmm. or we'll have to let you go. So I said, well, I'll take the uh, the other. Right. Well, this became a very good thing in a way, because what happened is I went back as an in-betweener, and uh, because... Mark had Iwo at that time, he, so he didn't need me. My wife, she saw an ad in the paper, and it was for, uh, it was actually Golden Books, and they were looking for artists to do Disney and, uh, books. Mm-hmm. And so we were desperate for money, and I said, let's try it. And so she went down, and she uh, got me a book to work on, some uh, coloring books, and I did those, and they liked them. And so they gave me then the 101 Dalmatians book, to do, mm-hmm. and so I did that one too. Was this uh, before the movie came out? The, well, I was doing I was doing other other golden books there, and I was working on on the movie at the right, time. Right. So I was so that's when I started uh, working on the book just prior to the movie being finished. Mm-hmm. And anyhow, so I did that. Did two of the Dalmatians books. Then again, the picture came down to an end, and they were going to lay everybody off. Well. I walked in from a vacation, and I came back, and the entire wing that I was in was gone. They were, it was empty. Hmm. And so Johnny Bond came by, and he says, you still here? He says, you better go down and talk to the, the Andy, the boss, and see, see what your uh, future is. <laughs> so I walked in, and he said, lo and behold, he says, Eric Larson wants you to come down and help, help work with him. Hmm. So I went down to Eric's room, and... Uh, I started working there, and shortly afterwards, then I became his assistant. 
and I stayed with him for 12 years. Wow. Can we go back to um, Mark Davis for a little bit? Yeah. What was it like to work with him? I mean, did he, as an artist, did, I can't imagine he struggled that much with drawing. I know Milt always says that he worked so hard at drawing, that's why it was good. And Mark, to me, seems just like a natural. Um, oh, yeah. Mark Mark never really had any problem with drawing. He was, he was I mean, he taught at Chenard's. Mm-hmm. And he even told me to come down, and I took I took classes down with him mm-hmm. at Chenard's to learn. But he he knew his drawing really really well. Yeah, uh, he had done a lot of story sketch work on Bambi uh, yeah. in the early days, yeah. as you probably know. In fact, when he was doing those story sketches, I think he told me he said uh, it was Walt who went to Frank and and to Milton and said teach him how to animate, mm-hmm. and so they taught him how to animate. But he wow. uh, he could redraw. Yeah, yeah. He also was the easiest person to follow up, follow uh, in drawing. Uh, he always worked with three drawings between every extreme he did. How do you mean? Like well, he would break it down three times? He, he would break it down so he, all you had to do was those three drawings in between each of his extremes. Oh, okay, okay. And, and it always worked out, and, and it was always on evens, too. In other words, it wasn't, written, wasn't where he had a favor one side or the other. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, he was as easy as pie to follow. Wow! Although yeah. the drawing was tough to do, but the, the uh... oh, that's amazing. I know, like um, Eric Goldberg kind of animates that way. He doesn't generally do thirds. You know, it's always just you know really even in between. So you do a half exactly. here and a half there and a half there, and exactly. it all works. But, but if yeah. you go to if you went to Milt or to oh God or to Frank, oh, it was all thirds and all of you know even favored over a little bit of fifths. And yeah, yeah, I've seen like like Milt's charts. I mean, he'll just do a little tiny tick mark way up near the number, and I'm wondering what does that mean? Is, does he literally mean favorite by you know 98 percent? Right, and and he would do pieces and parts, you know, yeah. of, of certain things would be favored, certain things wouldn't. And how about Frank? Did you ever have to work on his stuff? A couple of times, not uh-huh. not not very often, fortunately. But I imagine he was really particular. Frank was really really particular. I mean. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure they all were, but I, I think he would pro- probably be the type that did all his in-betweens type of guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, Dale Oliver fortunately worked for him. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> was Dale a nice guy? <laughs> Dale was a sweet man. Very, yeah. He was a big, tall fellow. Very lanky, tall, really nice guy. And, uh, yeah, he worked, he worked, did his, he did the in-betweens roughs and the uh, cleanups too. I think mainly, more more than anything, the cleanups because you really needed somebody to go through his stuff. His stuff was difficult to clean mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Frank, you know, would work on scenes. He had a habit of working on a scene. And then when it was done, then he'd take and put it aside and put it into a, uh, a shelf. And then he'd go on to another scene. And then he'd come back to it. And, and then, look at it then fresh again. You'd look at it fresh and start yeah. reworking it again. And again, put it aside and then come hmm. back again. And eventually he would be content with it and then send it out to, wow. uh, you know, be clean, uh, shot. But everybody had their own own different styles of working. Eric Larson asked you to come work with him. Was it on Sword in the Stone? We were doing the wonderful world of uh, Disney. We were starting to do the... Uh, um, they had been working on um, the Disney show because Walt needed the money from ABC. Mm-hmm. But then at that time, they came and they were starting to do it in color. They were going to do it in color. And they had the Von Drakes. So I was went to work with Eric on the Von Drakes stuff. Eric wasn't that fond of doing, I don't think, the uh, that kind of animation. But uh, so he because w- he would do it in circles and stick figures and so forth. But thank God, and that's where I really learned how to animate a lot more and how to draw better because like, I needed to. You know, I had to. 
to follow up and, and convert his convert his stuff to because I Von Drake always seemed to me to be very milt like oh the, it was it was totally milt had he animated tests that people would follow or um, did no. he just kind of do model sheets and then he did the, the model style sh- was set he did the model sheets the style was set but that's and, not Eric's style no it wasn't no. Eric's style at all no yeah. uh, in fact it was so un Mark's style Mark started working trying to work at it. And he, he'd sit there with it, holding a cigarette holder, and you know, Jesus, he's, I can't draw this stuff. And he says, "The hell with it." And he uh, wound up uh, going to Disneyland, or, or not Disneyland, mm-hmm. but doing uh, to WDI, right? And starting to work in the pirate, doing the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff. He he didn't want anything to do with it hmm. at that time, so so he w- moved out. Was that where the focus was at that time? Was doing the Disneyland show? Yeah. Yeah, they needed the money for the for the the parks, right, and the and, advertisement, and, right, and and there again too, Walt needed the talent of people like Mark to design some of these rides and things, yeah, and uh, yeah. so uh, Mark was all too happy to to go doing that because it was new and it was exciting. He had already done the animation for years here mm-hmm. and so forth, and he had just finished on what uh, Cruella de Vil, right? Cruella de Vil, which mm-hmm. was a high point, <laughs> yeah, you know. So I think he left on a high, and right, uh, right. But on the other hand, Von Drake's Milt loved doing Von Drake's. Mm, I'm sure, <laughs> and he was fast. I mean, the guy could turn out thirty feet a week easily. Just, just spill it off. Hmm. Uh, it was harder for the rest of the animators to do that. You know, they weren't used to it and so forth. But I, anyway, I learned how to draw Von Drake real well, and hmm. it was really nice because then, I, then you get animators that would come into me and ask me to do drawings and so forth on it because I got really good at it. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that was really, really happy times. You know, in those days, people also forgot that you couldn't really become an animator. I was going to ask you about that. It's because the nine old men were the nine all, old, all floating at the top, right? They and, were at and the they top. weren't going anywhere. They weren't going anywhere at all. And, uh, and they we, were still young. You yeah, know? and we had other animators, sure. So, um, well, we had like other animators for the shorts, uh, you know, Bob Carlson and Sibley and all these others. And they were very good. Mm-hmm. But you had the nine old men. And so the only place that you could actually go would be to be their assistant, be an assistant to one of the nine old men. That was the top rung. Mm-hmm. And so, because people wonder, how could you be doing uh, assistant work for 12 years? For 12 years. Yeah. So, well, that was the reason. Mm-hmm. Was it frustrating for a lot of artists? It was, I'm sure, for some. On the other hand, it became a way of life that you just kind of you enjoyed doing mm-hmm. it because you enjoyed the people working. Right, and the products were, doing, were good. I the think. product was good. But then there did become a time when one or two of the animators started to leave, one for sickness and uh, uh, another just to retire and so forth because they were starting to get up there and they mm-hmm. were starting to think about it. And the studio came to the conclusion that, hey, we needed to get some new animators going right so um, they decided to have a program and they took four an- uh, assistant animators and uh, they gave them eight weeks to do a test and at that end of that time they would show it to all of the the nine old men mm-hmm. and uh, they would make a decision whether this person got a chance to animate or not and the first group who had been doing animation I mean under their their particular animators mm-hmm. and they were very good well, they did their test, and I think every one of them 
failed for one reason or the other. Really? And the reason for it was the nine old men weren't about to let their animators go. <laughs> their they systems this, go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they, when, when you say animators, these were like they would do regular sh- scenes and, and their own shots. Yeah, right. in other words, they'd do the animators' work, but then they'd, they'd get be get given a couple of scenes to animate on their own, mm-hmm. you know, uh, under under their. Uh, so they still needed tutelage. the support. Yeah, so but they weren't about to let these guys go, uh-huh, so uh-huh. they all kind of failed, you know. Some like uh, Dave Michener, who'd been working under Milt. Well, he said, "Oh, the heck with it." He says, "I've been doing some Milt tests." Uh, this was around Aristocats time that they came up with this, and. Uh, he went up to Story, and because he just got fed up, uh, Freddie Helmick got real irritated, and he left left the studio, and he went out to uh, uh, freelance and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so the, the next group came up. Now, I was part of the next group. Don Bluth was also in it, and Walt Stanchfield, mm-hmm. and I believe it was also uh, Chuck, uh, Chuck Williams. Excuse me. Oh, okay. It was Chuck Williams. So we started doing our test, our eight weeks. Well, they came around and looked at them after that period, and uh, they were a lot more friendly. Because uh, Don Duckwell says, listen, guys, you've got to get in there and let these guys you know, do their thing. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as Eric was concerned, he was not one of those kind of people that would, would ever hold you back anyway. He was not part of that. And he was one of the best teachers there were around there. So fortunately, I got through it fine. And I had done a test on uh, Prince John, so they assigned me to Ollie to work with Ollie. And he he liked what you had done. Was this um, before Robin Hood came out? This was just be- or, as Robin Hood was starting. This so was, you, you took the model sheet and you just did a test. Exactly. So I I worked with uh, Ollie and uh, Bluth. I think worked with Frank and uh, Stanchfield. Uh, forget what Stanchfield worked with because he was working he was Ollie's assistant at mm-hmm. the time I think he still stayed with Ollie mm-hmm. and I think he was doing animation too we were in in D-Wing we were a very knit group at the very end of D-Wing it was kind of like it was all centered there was Milt Frank and Ollie and Eric and we were all at the very end of D-Wing so we were all together mm-hmm. so I started animating Ollie was not a really good teacher I mean he was Terrific draftsman, and he did a beautiful job mm-hmm. and everything. But he would always come in with a new idea every day. He was and and, and he would always approach it slightly different. And for a novice guy, I wanted something that I needed to have pinned down, and and so I could go ahead and start hitting my poses and so forth. Right. And uh, he'd come up with a whole new way of doing it. Well, why don't we try it this way? Why don't we try it that way? And I was being pulled around. Finally, after oh. I was going to say maybe we, I was with him for about three or four months. I said, Ollie, I said, maybe I should just, uh, we should just part ways on this, you know, because I want to stay friends. And, uh, so it was kind of a big chance for me because I thought, oh, I don't know what my future is going to be. Yeah. But then uh, Wooly says, uh, i got some scenes up here I want you to do. And they, they were the part of the crowd scenes, part of the little little animal scenes, you know, the, uh, the rabbits and things like that. Mm-hmm. Great. So I started picking up from Wooly. And that was good. And uh, if I ran into problems, I could always go to Eric. But by about that time, Eric was so successful at training and teaching where the other animators didn't want to do it. Uh, I certainly Milt didn't. Mm-hmm. Frank and Ollie really didn't either. Eric got the job. As the trainer? Uh, as the trainer. Yeah. And so uh, they moved Eric upstairs, and I took Eric's room. And uh, mm-hmm. then about that time, my wife 
who had been working with me at time on and off at times. She was uh, an assistant. Okay. She she moved into the room where I was, and so we had our own unit, <laughs> and we we uh, went through that picture. That That's way. great. And That's that was great. wonderful. That concludes part one of my interview with Bernie Mattinson. If you have any comments or questions, you can visit the Animation Podcast online at animationpodcast.com and leave comments on individual shows or email me through the link on the main page. You can also find a link to leave voicemails with your computer microphone, as well as the number for the phone feedback hotline, which is area code 206-666-2668. Before we get to the voice messages for this show, I'll tell you the top 10 through 6 results of the listener survey question, who is your favorite animated character? Now, I wasn't sure how many people would actually take the listener survey, and I was hoping for about 400, but you guys have totally pulled through with over 500 responses. Judging by the most common response, this is really a tough one for some people to answer. The answer with the highest number of votes was that it's either too hard to answer or they didn't have a favorite character, which to that I say, lame. Aside from that, what really amazes me is the variety of responses people gave to this question. I thought there would be a definite group of favorites, but there were 113 characters who each received exactly one vote. And by the way, if you couldn't decide and listed more than one character, I made an executive decision and took your first answer, figuring you subconsciously liked that one best. And of those who responded, I really have to give credit to the person who had the guts to admit that their favorite character is Captain Planet. So uh, hats off to you. All right, this is the top 10 through 6. And with so many characters named, there are plenty of ties here. So at number 10, we have a five-way tie between Buzz Lightyear, The Iron Giant, Jack Skellington, Mike Wazowski, and Samurai Jack. Number nine is a four-way tie with Ariel, Pinocchio, Roger Rabbit, and Wild E. Coyote. Number eight is another five-way tie between Baloo, Donald Duck, Goofy, Gromit, and Homer Simpson. It gets a little rougher at number seven with a six-way tie between Cusco, Mickey Mouse, Mr. Incredible, Scrat, Sully, and Totoro. And the crowd thins as we get to number six with Shere Khan and two characters from the same film, Aladdin and the Genie. So you see what I mean? There's 26 characters filling those five spots. We'll get to the top five after the voice messages. Hello, Clay. This is Marcus calling from Spain. Uh, first of all, um, Red War, you have a, a very awesome uh, show. So uh, right now, I'm uh, working in the middle of the wasteland, improving my portfolio, and and I don't lose this, the sense of wonder of this story also me in Spain hearing about what's happened in the mind of these great actors. So um, the the funny point of that is uh, hearing about Glenn talking about trying to make 2D animation or 3D animation more, more like a sculpture. I, I took an opportunity to talk with uh, Lawrence Marbit, uh, ex-art director at Pixar. So uh, he told the same to us, to say um, that 3D uh, is, is so waste in, in terms of what it can achieve. And the 2D is at the 40% too. Um, I'm really glad to see Glenn talking about that and, and see that most people are, are focused on push the 2D or the 3D, or the animation art form in that direction. But well, not no all the studios can afford um, that vision of, of animation as a true art form. Most of that just, just don't care about it. 
So excuse for my rough English and and best wishes from Spain. Uh, good work. Uh, bye. Hi, Marcos. You're uh, more brave than most people who already speak English. So thank you for leaving the message. And yeah, I am so excited about the future of animated films. Like Glenn said, if traditional films were invented today with today's technology, it would be a completely different art form. And today's studios are poised to reinvent what we think of as a hand-drawn animated feature. And as far as CG goes, I feel like we're finally reaching the point where the artistic choices are dictating what the computer gives us instead of the other way around. So yes, I, I, I think we've only seen the first scratches in the surface of what animation will deliver for the next few decades. Hey Clay, it's uh, Josh here from Australia. I'd like to say how great your show is. I was just wondering if you could get a bit more variety in your animation because the majority of it is, you know, your sort of classic 2D, Disney safe sort of um, film and also the 3D as well. And I was just wondering if it's possible if you could get more onto the Japanese adult orientated animation, maybe interview some people from uh, Hentai or some of those other, you know, sort of a um, bit more adult orientated stuff. Okay, thanks. Thanks for the message, Josh. Well, first I had to go find out what hentai is, and I'm glad I wasn't on my work computer when I did. Uh, they have rules against that stuff. For those of you who, like me, weren't sure, it's definitely adult-oriented Japanese animation. So um, my first criterion for who I interview is that they should work in a form of animation I'm actually interested in, and I just haven't got that far in my animation education. Um, but there are actually a few podcasts, I think, that cover this area, so I'd suggest going into iTunes and using the podcast search feature, and I think you'll find what you're looking for. And what are the odds that we'd get two voicemails from Australia since the last show? G'day, Clay. My name's Nathan. I'm from Australia. I, uh, I listen to your podcast whenever it pops up on the old Bush email. Uh, it's, it's fantastic. It uh, gets me through the days here out in the outback when I'm cooking on me bonza bonza shrimp holding Commodore kangaroo barbie. Ah, uh, gee whiz. <laughs> How you going, Clay? Um, yeah, it's fantastic, mate. I'm studying at animationmentor.com and loving it there. And it's always good to have the podcast on in the background whenever I'm doing an assignment or even when I'm not doing animation. It's, it's always good to listen to. In fact, I have played them or streamed them through my Xbox. So... That is testament to the job that you're doing, and keep up the great work. Cool. See you, dude. Hey, Nathan. Thanks for the great message. I'm uh, being educated by Australian animators today. First, I learned what hentai is from Josh, and then you tell me you can listen to podcasts with an Xbox. So thanks for that. Um, yeah, good luck with Animation Mentor. I was mentoring with them online last semester, and when I have more time again, I hope to get back on there. I think it's a great way to learn how to animate, especially for people like you in remote locations like the Outback. Those are all the voice messages for this show. Finally, what you've all been waiting for. You've heard the top 10 through 6. Do you think you know who the listeners voted as the top 5 favorite animated characters? At number 5 from the Galactic Federation Experiment number 626, it's Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Animation supervised by Alex Cooperschmidt and voiced by director Chris Sanders. At number 4, it's everyone's favorite vine-surfing ape man, Tarzan, whose animation was supervised by previous guest of the show, Glenn Keane. Number three is one of the oldest characters on the roster whose first screen appearance was in 1938's Porky's Hair Hunt. It's not Porky, but the hare who later became known as Bugs Bunny. At number two, another Glenn Keane character joins the top five. He's never given a proper name in the film, even after he becomes a human. We simply know him as the Beast from Beauty and the Beast.
Finally, the number one spot was taken early on the survey and this guy never looked back. It's interesting that number one has something in common with bugs at number three, and that is, they were both introduced in different Porky Pig hunting cartoons. This time, it's 1937's Porky's Duck Hunt. You probably know by now that the top spot belongs to none other than Daffy Duck. Oh, no, you don't. You want my treasure. Well, it's mine, and it's in all mine. Go, 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 mine. I'll post the complete top 10 characters on the site as well as the runners-up, and in the next few shows, I'll tell you some more results from the listener survey. With all that said, I will wrap it up for show number 16. Again, if you want to discuss the shows or give feedback, just go to the site at animationpodcast.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.